Hello and welcome to this episode of the Star Wars Universe podcast. Friends, today we are finishing up our coverage of season one of the TV show Star Wars Rebels, and it's a doozy. Um, We're obviously going to be spoiling everything in this episode, in this series of the last three episodes, but I will say right now, if you haven't seen them, there's a lot of great things that are revealed, so if you are planning to watch, maybe hit pause, watch these next three episodes, because once we get past the ad break, it will be all spoilers all the time. Of course, if you're not planning to watch, you just want to kind of know what happens and get caught up for everything else, you're very welcome. If you have watched, great. But just want to let you know, if you don't want to be spoiled, hit pause, watch the episodes, and then come back. It'll be very much worth your while. But with that being said, we will get into spoilers. We'll get into all the discussion with myself, Sarah, and Riki Hayashi right after this commercial break that I have no control over. That maybe Riki does? Who knows? <laughs> no. Commercial for McDonald's. <laughs> there you go. Welcome back. I'm Matthew, your host. As I said, I'm joined by Riki and Sarah Hayashi, who have now moved into their new home. They've gotten their internet set up. They're still living out of boxes, but they understood that the most important thing to set up was the recording studio. So I'm so glad to have you all back. How are you doing today? Yeah, we're we're doing good, all things considered. <laughs> Can we tell them yet? Tell them yet. Sure. What? 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 All the all the the reveals. Oh, Oh, yes. Yes. Go ahead. Okay. Well, actually, let me do this in proper tradition of the MCU cast that uh, this podcast was born from. So we're going to enter our spoiler section in three, two, one. Now you say the spoiler. Oh. Ahsoka Tano is fulcrum. Dun, dun, dun. Yay. Yeah, uh, we'll dive into like the we give the full uh, recap of what happens in these episodes. But I think that's one of the biggest reveals here is we find out that uh, not only is Ahsoka Tano back for these shows, but she is Fulcrum. She's the voice we've been hearing this whole time. Uh, did you know that that was going to happen before it happened on the in the show, or did you get surprised by it? On the first watch through, I didn't know, and it was like super exciting. Um, I, I figured Fulcrum was going to be somebody that we knew, but I don't mm-hmm. think I'd guessed Ahsoka. However, on the second watch through, um, it, it it does sound like her voice that's just been modulated. And as we noted in like uh, an earlier recording, there's an episode where Sabine is, is referring to Fulcrum as he and Hera is very being like, well, Fulcrum doesn't Fulcrum Fulcrum instead of any sort of pronoun. Right. Yeah, I definitely had, I had no idea the first time I watched it, which I was really happy for because it was a great moment. Ahsoka was very much one of my favorite characters from Clone Wars. And, and, but then this, going back this time, like it's that great example where you had no idea the first time and the second time you're like, how did I miss this? Mm -hmm. Of course it's Ahsoka. Who else could it have been? Well, I, I think my assumption when I watched it the first time was that it was going to be Bail. Bail Organa, mm-hmm. because he yep. had a little mini thing going on, and then we know that he becomes important for the rebellion. Yeah, I mean, we did see Bail at the at the end of this arc right. of episodes as well, but yeah, just not as Fulcrum. I think I had a moment of wondering if it was Akbar, because it, it always seemed like someone who had had like a military background, so I thought it was someone who was more of a military aspect. But yeah, finding out that it was Ahsoka was just wonderful. Mm-hmm. So, so for those who are especially confused, uh, especially because there's another important character, not just from the Clone Wars, but who we get, who we know sort of from the Clone Wars, uh, who was introduced at the end of this episode as well, uh, this episode arc. Let's actually tell you what happens in the episodes. Uh, and I will go first. So basically, we have three episodes here, but it's one arc, one story. So we're just going to talk about it as kind of one three-part episode. So getting started. Grand Moff Tarkin, another person we haven't seen before who's shown up visits Lothal to deal with the rebels. In light of discovering that Travis is actually an Imperial spy, the rebels debate broadcasting a message to the nearby star systems about their cause. Ezra adamantly supports the idea since his parents had broadcast secret messages from their basement for years. Kanan decides to invade the main Imperial communications tower on Lothal. The rebels think they have the element of surprise, but they do not take into account the arrival of Tarkin, who has deduced where they will strike. The Inquisitor and Callus are sent out to capture Kanan alive to earn back Tarkin's trust. When the Imperial forces attack the group at the tower, Kanan instructs the team to leave him and thus has captured himself. 
The team is able to have Ezra send a message of hope, urging those living under the oppression of the Empire to fight before Tarkin orders the tower to be destroyed, ending their broadcast. After failing to find where Kanan is being detained, Hera is urged by Fulcrum to put the crew of the Ghost into hiding. Against Hera's orders to leave Kanan, Ezra devises a plan to rescue him. He strikes a deal with Vizago for an unspecified favor in the future and learns that due to the destruction of the Imperial Communications Tower, the Empire is forced to send all its messages via courier droids. Meanwhile, Kanan is brought aboard Tarkin's ship, where he is tortured by the Inquisitor as the Empire hopes to gain more information about the Rebels. The crew of the Ghost substitute a disguised chopper for an Imperial (laughs) courier droid so he can access the Empire's data on Kanan, eventually learning that Tarkin plans to transfer Kanan to the prison on Mustafar, where, according to Hera, Jedi go to die. The crew of the Ghost sees an Imperial transport and use a TIE fighter that Zeb and Ezra had previously stolen and said was destroyed, but turns out no, uh, and disable Tarkin's Star Destroyer in the Mustafar system. Ezra frees Kanan using the duct system, while Hera, Sabine, and Zeb attempt to secure an escape route. Ambushed in the engine room, Ezra and Kanan face the Inquisitor in a lightsaber duel, during which Ezra falls and is believed to be dead by Kanan. Abandoning his fear of losing Ezra, Kanan succeeds in destroying the Inquisitor's lightsaber and rupturing the ship's engine, into which a defeated Inquisitor casts himself to his death. Ezra reveals himself to be alive and to have gotten a scar during the battle with the Inquisitor, and escapes with Kanan. Both groups successfully emerge from the Doom Destroyer with stolen ties. Chopper arrives in the stolen transport alongside a number of other ships, and they all successfully escape into hyperspace. The rebels are greeted by Senator Bail Organa and Fulcrum, the latter of whom is revealed to be Ahsoka Tano, who tells the group that they are just one cell out of many working. Hmm. Is revealed to be Ahsoka Tano, who tells the group that they are just one cell out of many working for a larger rebellion. On the fall, Tarkin introduces Agent Callus to Darth Vader, who has been selected by Emperor Palpatine to hunt the rebels in the Inquisitor's place. Yeah, so we've got Tarkin, we've got Vader, we've got Tano, uh, we got a lot going on here. What, what's your take on these episodes? Yeah, when you mentioned like we hadn't seen Tarkin before, I I thought we had, and I think I'm just thinking of Bad Batch where he, yeah, sort of in the <laughs> beginning of that, I was like, oh yeah, good old cheekbones wasn't in this one. Um, I I mean, we saw him a lot in. It's certainly not the first time we saw him since A New Hope because we saw him a lot in Clone Wars mm-hmm. when he was still a Republic officer. Yeah, be like General Tarkin, Admiral Admiral Tarkin. No, he's Grand Moff moving on up in the world. Yeah, I really liked the way these sort of known characters were are, are introduced and how it was kind of saved for this like big uh, finale mm-hmm. as well. Um, and it felt like it was they were sprinkled in in sort of a restrained manner, such that like we know they're not going to be the main character. We know that like. Ahsoka, even though she's revealed to be Fulcrum, is probably still going to play that side role of maybe just talking to uh, the crew of the Ghost every once in a while, helping them out. But this isn't going to turn into like Ahsoka's story. And same with Vader, right? Probably mm-hmm. saw, um, t- stepping into that role that the Inquisitor took, where he's kind of this omnipresent background character, right? right? And I and I like that because I like that we're exploring this this new, previously unknown group of characters. Yeah, and I actually want to, there's so much to say about the other two, but I kind of want to start with Vader. Um, first of all, just because it was, you know, he had started the whole show with his little speech to the Inquisitors. And so there's something kind of wonderful about it was sort of people acting on his behalf who started this all. And then now he's going to kind of step in for next season. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's certainly the invocation, you know, who knows what's actually going to happen. And, and also, I've just got to say, like, even now, like his voice acting, you know, the Vader we get at the very end of uh, the Clone Wars uh, movies is not, uh, I think, the the no is not <laughs> what people consider to be uh, his best moment. And so even just in this, I was like, oh, OK, I'm, I'm looking forward to this person uh, voice acting Vader. It's not James Earl Jones? Uh, that, yeah, that's what I mean. Like oh, James oh, Earl sorry, Jones sorry, being sorry. back. Gotcha. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, I was going to say this is the most hype season finale, like 
changeover between seasons, I think possible because yeah, you have this really show, is. you have this new show, Rebels, and now at the end of it, we get this connection to Clone Wars. And not only that, but it's kind of guiding the way towards the future. I mean, we know that Vader has to survive this whole ordeal because he's mm-hmm. in the movies. Ahsoka, at the time that this show came out, uh, you know, we did not have the Mandalorian yet. So, you know, very much her future was in doubt because a lot of people were like, okay, well, if, if Ahsoka's part of the rebellion, clearly something must happen to her because right. she would have played a more prominent role so now we're going to find out what role she plays and possibly what happens to her right and and i don't think it's coincidence that you know in the clone wars as we've talked about the relationship between anakin skywalker and ahsoka tano was such an important part of that show and introducing ahsoka right at the same time as we're reintroducing uh, Vader, who is obviously Anakin Skywalker, like I don't think that's coincidence. You know, you don't. Mm-hmm. At this point, we've no idea how that's going to play out or what's going to happen, but you have to wonder if sort of you know those two are going to uh, reconnect in some way. Right, because the the galaxy does not know that Anakin became Vader, so presumably at this point, right. Ahsoka does not know, and, and right. for them to come into conflict and for her to possibly find out is, is going to be heartbreaking. Yeah. Yeah, but even like like Matthew was saying, introducing them as this pair, right? That mm-hmm. even far across the galaxy, we as the audience, we still see them both basically simultaneously. Right. And and just kind of further uh, back on what you're saying there about uh, no one knows. Uh, in the Thrawn books, the most recent Grand Admiral Thrawn books, which are officially canon. Uh, kind of more introducing, uh, you know, that character that we know is going to happen in in some later shows. Uh, th- there's a great book where it is Thrawn and uh, Vader, while also flashbacks of Thrawn and Anakin. And Thrawn figures out that Vader is Anakin, and it's very clear that, like, no one is supposed to know that. And even Vader tries hard to kind of, like, in Vader's mind, he thinks about the Jedi who came before, but he never thinks of himself as the same person. And he's you know, horrified to think that Thrawn might even have figured it out, like have a sense of it. So yeah, at this point, no one knows that to be sure, except, except, you know, Vader himself and the emperor. Yeah. And I guess like Tarkin doesn't even know, Hey. Yeah. I I think there's going to be like, you know, Tarkin spent a lot of time with Anakin and Tarkin's pretty close to the emperor. So like maybe he suspects, but yeah, I don't think we, we, we get any knowledge of that certainly from what we've seen so far. There have been suggestions that Tarkin knows, but plays it, close to his his chest because you know it's vader (laughs) you don't want to make him angry sure yeah i I do like though that one thing this also establishes and something that i'll back up here a second like when i remember like my memory of a new hope particularly because i then saw the later movies you know when i was a kid is that like darth vader's in charge of everything because that's certainly how it seems like he's second in command to the emperor and then i went back and rewatched a new hope when i was like maybe like in my teenage years and I realized Tarkin's in command. Like it's not exactly clear where Vader stands in the chain of command, but like Tarkin tells him to stop choking the guy and, and Vader's like, you know, as you wish. And, uh, uh, I'm thinking he says those exact words. He's not Wesley, (laughs) but it says something like that. Um, actually, I think he does actually say, as you wish, um, just very different tone. Mm. Uh, but the point is like Tarkin is the one in command and, in the same way, I think it's really interesting that, you know, the Inquisitor has been played off so far as like, you know, he's working directly for Vader, for the Empire. He's the Force user. He can run rings around Callus, And Tarkin's coming in here and saying to both Callus and the Inquisitor, you've both failed. You both need to do better. And it's pretty clear that Tarkin, this completely non-Force using person, can boss around the Inquisitor. Mm-hmm. And I, I just thought that was really interesting seeing, like, how the dynamic of power plays out there. Yeah, I mean, I, I think back to the line at the beginning of New Hope where, you know, Leia says that Tarkin's holding Vader's leash, right? And so mm-hmm. I, I guess Vader is kind of this, like, attack dog more than, yeah. like, person in the chain of command. He's just kind of like Palpatine's, yeah, attack dog, I guess, is like the best metaphor here, where he's not actually making 
decisions insofar as like how the empire is being run he's just there to like round up and exterminate the jedi Mm -hmm. well yeah vader is palpatine's executioner yeah that's a better word basically if he shows up somewhere whether it's like a, a planet in rebellion or an imperial ship he's there to mete out some kind of punishment to somebody and, mm-hmm. and certainly like by the uh, empire strikes back you know his flagship the superstar destroyer is called the executor, executor. or executor yeah. it's never clear <laughs> they never say it <laughs> but either way like that that is his mission is to go right. meet out palpatine's punishment yeah, and then Tarkin is the the political number two, basically behind Palpatine, mm-hmm. and he's he's played his hand up to this point to to become this powerhouse politically, and yet is able to boss around even Vader. So, yeah, yeah, it's definitely interesting to see that, and and I really like, uh, and we're gonna kind of bounce around from different topics here, but let's just stick with Tarkin for a bit. Tarkin has this very interesting idea because he comes to the to Lothal. You know, he's asking both Kanan and the, uh, no, sorry, not Kanan, Callus and the Inquisitor, like the, the two different sides of the Empire, you know, what's happening here? And they're both saying, like, well, it's difficult because this Jedi. And Tarkin's very clear. The Jedi is dead. I knew the Jedi. They died. And and he, 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 he basically talks about how that we have to be very concerned about what the Jedi represent. You know, that if the Jedi are still alive, it means hope. It means that maybe the Emperor is wrong. And, and I just think it's really interesting there that, like, both Callus and the Inquisitor are there to fulfill their mission. Tarkin's got a much bigger picture of, like, not just how, to, how what is, but how this looks. What's the Imperial propaganda around the Jedi and how to mm. make that happen? Yeah, it's definitely about propaganda. Because as we have commented in the past, like, it's only been 15 years. Like, how could people forget about the Jedi? And yet, right. like, this is the way that Tarkin and the Empire have played this, is to make people forget, to tell them, like, it's an ancient yeah. religion, and just to, like, repeat these lies over and over. Yeah. Yeah, it's very, like, Tarkin clearly, even at this point, understands, like, the the, the base of the Empire, it's, it's fear, and it's it's the image of power, almost more, even more so than the power itself. Mm-hmm. Which, obviously, is a big part of what's... Uh, happening against them so uh let's talk a bit about ahsoka coming back and then let's dive into the actual story itself uh what how do we feel about uh, ahsoka being back she's the best (laughs) (laughs) i don't know if she's actually my favorite but at least from the clone wars i think a lot of people have fond memories of ahsoka as a character and to see Mm -hmm. her continue to develop into now adulthood uh is, is very exciting and then obviously post this series, you know, she's going to be on, she was on the Mandalorian. She's going to have her own show. So we're, we're going to continue that story. And it's right. nice to have this um, kind of wedge, I guess, fulcrum in the middle of her, of her history. And we get to find mm-hmm. out a little bit about what she's going to do. Yeah. And this was okay. I'm, I'm looking this up because I don't quite remember. Maybe one of you two know. Did the last season of Clone Wars come out before or after Rebels? After. Okay. Yeah. And that was like Ahsoka's season, basically. So yeah, this right. is kind of the the first, like you were right. saying, like the really first we've seen of her since she so, just yeah, like, all... left Anakin. Yeah. So yeah, when this series came out, we only had season six of the Clone Wars and she left the show in season five. Mm-hmm. When she was accused of betraying the Jedi Order, and then she was acquitted, but then she was like, "This isn't for me," and left, and that was kind of it. Right. Yeah, she had her one little buddy cop episode with, um, uh, oh God, why can't I remember her name? Uh, Ventress, mm-hmm. and then that was mm-hmm. rode off into the sunset. Uh, yeah, I, I, I just, I'm thrilled by it. I, I, I love having the connective tissue. You know, of someone who was part of everything during the Clone Wars and kind of remembered that. And I found it especially important because, you know, Anakin was always kind of the soft-hearted one, but the attached one who wanted to go back and help people. Ahsoka often was that even more so. You know, she was very, like, she was a good warrior, but she hated the idea of, you know, having to sacrifice people or having to leave people behind. And when you think about how... 
a lot of what we've known about Fulcrum is has been very jaded, has been, you know, even these episodes before we know it's Ahsoka, it's, you know, telling Hera she can't go back for Kanan, telling them that they were wrong to make this big public pronouncement because the whole point is to stay quiet. Um, there, there's such a jadedness and a cynicalness to uh, Fulcrum that I feel just finding out, you know, you always want to know what happened, but just finding out that that's who Ahsoka is now tells you so much about how much she's changed since she left the Jedi. Yeah, and I, and I do like that, I mean, we, she only has a few lines, but in that she kind of admits that, you know, she was wrong and that it was Ezra's message of hope that has sort of brought more rebel cells mm-hmm. out into the open or like banded them together, right? So yeah, while she's Fulcrum, like, you're right, she's totally this like jaded character, but now that she's kind of like revealed herself to be Ahsoka... There's like the sense of her kind of getting her hope back, right? Like Ezra's yeah. provided this hope for her and with the rest of the rebels and the rest of the galaxy, right? Yeah, I mean, it's fairly fitting for her that like she has become jaded. She has become cynical. But the first chance anything could pull her back, she's like, okay, nope, nope, <laughs> yeah. we're back. Like, I'm in. Yeah. But they have to be very careful. I mean, this yeah. at this point in the galactic history... There is no rebellion, mm-hmm. right? These are just small cells of, of groups of people. You know, Bale's fleet is, what, three blockade runners, I believe? Yeah. And, and that's it. And, like, that's all they could send on this this rescue mission at the end for, for Kanan. So militarily, like, they are not a threat to the Empire. But as we talked about right. with Tarkin, like, it is the idea of hope that they mm-hmm. provide to people. That the, the hope that there can be something different than imperial rule that is most right. dangerous right now for the Empire. Yeah, and I like that she, I don't know, like when she, she reveals, like, yes, we had to come help you get Kanan back because like we can't have these two icons of hope dying to the Empire anymore, mm-hmm. right? Like, there's still the sense of, like, I guess we have to do this. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but, like, yeah, it, it is just, like, this small small cell but i don't know like even like ezra seeing that it, there's four other ships and that they're not alone out there i think yeah. just gives gives them such hope yeah yeah i mean i think it's exactly what tarkin was afraid mm-hmm. of you know and that way tarkin's right and one thing I, I knowing that this was coming i was paying more attention to this one thing i saw a lot in the first season is that the you know the things the empire would do when they were kind of like you know talking down to the rebels or trying to convince people not to be part of this rebel group was to say like look you're just insignificant you're just these couple of people on this one planet mm-hmm. like part of the thing is that the way it's set up now you're right they have to be very safe and very careful but part of what that means is Fulcrum's the only one who knows that they're all out there mm-hmm. and and that means that like if you're just a couple people on this one ship, the ghost on this one planet, Lothal, it's easy to think you're completely isolated. And that part of what's happening now is people are realizing, wait a minute, no, other people on other planets are rising up too. Yeah. Well, that's even one of the points when kind of getting back to Tarkin a little bit, when he's um, torturing Kanan, trying to get information out of Kanan where the other rebel cells are. Like Kanan doesn't even know that there are rebel cells, right? Because it's right. only Hera who's been talking to Fulcrum. And like she mentions, you know, we did this purposefully so that if one of us did get captured, we couldn't reveal any right. information. But yeah, just like how eye-opening it must be <laughs> mm-hmm. to be like, oh yeah. yeah, we're not actually just this group of five all by ourselves on this yeah. random planet. <laughs> nice. So let's talk about the story itself. Uh, and I don't think we can go through like kind of all the ins and outs. It's it's very, There's a lot of kind of adventure story to it. Um, but you know, clearly, so we get the Inquisitor and Kalos are kind of sent out to, you know, to finally capture the, these things. And, and Ezra has this idea to broadcast. What, what's How do you feel about the kind of that whole Ezra storyline of, of them winding up sacrificing Kanan, at least as I understand it, in order to get this message out? Yeah, I don't even know if that's like, it's a kind of a self-sacrifice. Mm-hmm. Especially, and I don't know, I feel sad yeah, Ezra has to be Ezra has to accept it but it's Kanan's choice for yeah sure. and I don't even think Ezra does accept it right because he's the one who's like we're going back for him um mm-hmm. but he's so reluctant to do this broadcast because this is how he lost his parents um right. and then when Kanan when they do find out that they've been caught that it's a trap and Kanan's telling them all to go 
you know, he looks directly at Ezra and is like, I will be on the next lift up. I'm going to be right behind you. Don't worry about it. Just get out of here. Which is clearly a lie, right? And so it's, I don't know. I just feel so bad for Ezra because he's lost so much. Mm-hmm. I think he, Kanan believed it at the time, possibly, until the Inquisitor came. And then he realized that he had to sacrifice himself. Mostly because he was the one that the Inquisitor wanted, right? Mm. Well, him and Ezra. But if he figured if he sacrificed himself there, he could help Ezra get away. And, and the rest of them, right. yeah. Yeah. Yeah, because yeah, it's, it, I mean, to me, it's very much a Obi-Wan kind of sacrificing himself to Vader to let them, you know, escape in the Millennium Falcon back into New Hope. Mm-hmm. And I don't think that's, that's, because I think you're right. He doesn't, he doesn't think that he's, He's, he doesn't know that it's 100% going to be a sacrifice, but I think he certainly knows it's a possibility. Yeah. Yeah, I just, I don't know. <laughs> I like that it is Ezra who reads out the message when mm-hmm. they're doing it right, kind of tying back to his his family reading those. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. It's very yeah. fitting. I, the part that I did not like was Tarkin's play, because yeah. when they... When they discover that this communication is going out, the tech says something techy, like we can't stop it for whatever reason. And then Tarkin just blows up the whole tower. Mm. And it's like, how bad are your techs that you can't <laughs> stop this? Like you, you can't cut the power to this station well, or I something? Think, I think it's like, yeah, yeah, I guess. that's like It, it just seems like the there, there should have been some way to stop this other than firing missiles yeah. at it. But and I, that, that was the only thing that kind of bothered me, although it shows the ruthlessness of Tarkin. Yeah. And he says yeah. something like, you don't know how to win a war, but I do. And yes. it's like, I'm just going to blow up my own tower. That'll show you. And I honestly, I think that's yeah. part of it. That yeah. he's showing like, here's what I'm willing to sacrifice. Mm-hmm. I will blow stuff up to screw you over. Yeah, because <laughs> like, yeah, I, I agree with you. I think the scientific gobbledygook they use to justify the plot point is dumb. But the plot point itself is great. Mm-hmm. And... And I really appreciate that in the next couple episodes, we see the Empire being hampered mm. by the fact that they yeah. don't have the normal communications that they used to. And that, it, you know, he didn't just blow up a piece of architecture. Like, he he hurt the Empire's ability, but he felt like it was necessary. And the thing is, probably he's right. Yeah. Like, as hard as it is for them now without good communications, every moment Ezra was spending on the radio was just, you know, that much more people being converted. It is the plot device that keeps giving. <laughs> when yeah. they're like, oh, they're using courier droids, so we can just replace <laughs> one with Chopper. Yes. Uh-huh. Yeah, and like the troopers are all fed up that they have to use courier droids, so they're not like. They're not checking. They're not paying super attention. They're like, oh, whatever, it's late. Here it is. I'll just go. I hate this. Yeah. Um, which I get, right? That makes sense. I thought when you said like the folly of Tarkin's plan, I thought you were going to talk about how he. How they knew that they were coming to invade the tower, and we're like, "No, no, let's not get him. Let's let him do it, and then we'll set up the trap." Because mm. that seems like a thing that is often tried by the Empire and often goes very, very wrong. No, oh, yeah, well, but this like is Andor. before most of the times they've done that. I guess. <laughs> so, <laughs> True. <laughs> and plus, most of them happened after Tarkin was dead. Mm. So, like, you know, he doesn't really know that one way or the other. Like, let's just but do you're the right. Tarkin move, yeah. It, it is a fairly common trope by now. <laughs> yeah, they, we we know, we know, but they don't know we know. They don't know that yeah. we know that they know. <laughs> right. yeah. that, that whole thing. <laughs> I mean, it, it does remind me of one of the few lines that I really like from uh, Phantom Menace. I think it's Phantom Menace. No, no, no I'm sorry. It's um, uh, in uh, Return of the Sith where uh, they... I think it's it's one of those two. But the, the point is that like Obi-Wan is with either Anakin or Qui-Gon and they're talking about how that they think they're about to walk into a trap and it says, what should we do? And Obi-Wan says, well, spring the trap. Like, you know, we know it's a trap. Let's walk into a trap and see what happens. Yeah. So clearly this is a, a time-honored trope. Mm-hmm. Uh, I did just want to say a quick thing about – because there's a lot of just like fun little moments along the way. Uh, the whole thing about like capturing uh, one of the – uh courier droids and like oh. making it work on their side is kind of awesome yes and i do love that the rest of them are like yeah chopper like you have a friend now like maybe we're gonna have another droid and then the moment people's eyes are turned like chopper just shoves him right out of the ship 
And <laughs> somehow this other droid still like falls a thousand feet and is undamaged because of plot armor. And just to show us that Chopper's not like just a murderer of other like AI life. But I did think it was kind of like both like, whoa, Chopper, that's 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 not cool, but also very much who Chopper is. Yeah, it's extremely cold blooded. And it's I don't even know if it's like, hey, here's a friend for you, Chopper. It's like, hey, here's a droid who's not sassy. Let's keep this yeah. one. And I think Chopper picked up on that and was like, uh uh-uh. uh, out you go. Uh-huh. Shove. Yeah. Uh, other plot point I thought was really cool was that we see Visago again, yeah. who is the kind of one of the crime bosses who they've worked with and establishing something we've had from the Clone Wars, even like, you know, going back to Han Solo, but even more so here, you know, that, that the crime bosses aren't going to be, they're not going to do a Han Solo turn and become total heroes, but you know, they're willing to say like, look, the empire isn't great for us and they want Ezra to owe him a favor, but they're willing to help out, which I thought was kind of fun. Yeah, and Kanan revealing to Visago, no, Ezra revealing to Visago that Kanan is a Jedi, I think was also an interesting moment and maybe a choice Mm -hmm. that I'm not 1000% on board with. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I would not trust Visago with that information. Yeah. Although at this point, like everyone seems to know. It's reaching that point because they just swing their lightsabers around every time. Yeah, yeah, I guess. And I think we're not supposed to think that Ezra's making a great choice here, especially mm-hmm. because, like, I think the point is that Ezra's acting out of desperation and out of emotion, and that's the kind of the problem. Especially because the way Ezra um, demonstrates to Visago, like, no, really, I'm a Jedi, I'm not kidding, is by lifting up <laughs> this big container and holding it very threateningly over Visago's head in a way that is... Not what I would call the most light side use of the force. Well, and he drops it, right? Like, Visago has to jump out of the way. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's uh, <laughs> not not the most subtle. And even, yeah, like, Zev and Sabine are both like, Ezra, do not do this right now. Right? Yeah. And they, they he makes a bargain with Visago. Like, you help me, I will do literally anything that you want me to. And, like, Hera chews him out for that. Because it's like, this is the worst deal in the history of deals, which... Mm-hmm. no maybe yeah not, but <laughs> i mean yeah. from what we've seen there's the spectrum of the scum and villainy you know visago is a little more to the villain side than like hondo right. or lando you know those types mm-hmm. of people uh, but I'd, I'd i'd put him between like uh, uh a hondo and a cad bane oh, for sure. like i don't think he's quite as ruthless as cad bane is yeah we all have to do we do have to remember that time that Hondo was about to murder a bunch of children but yeah (laughs) no I I would agree with that assessment right he's not he's not as like fun loving heart of gold he's kind of just like fun loving in it for the gold right yeah I mean clearly it's for him it's not it's not anything about honor he he just understands that the empire is bad for business in some ways yeah for sure um so let's talk about Kanan because he obviously has quite a journey through this arc you know, he, uh, first of all, of being willing to sacrifice himself, which we talk about, and then kind of, like, resisting the torture, which is, again, interesting because, like, you know, it's driving the Inquisitor crazy that the Jedi can resist torture, when the actuality is Kanan just doesn't know the thing that they're asking him. And then, of course, though, it ends with him, you know, reunited with Ezra. He thinks Ezra is dead. And that kind of is what allows him to to push past the fear that he's been having, uh, kind of the mirror what part of what he learned in the cave when um, uh, Ezra also did, and he allows him to defeat the Inquisitor. Uh, what? How do you all feel about kind of the way way his story played out? Um, I I didn't. So overall, I like his arc arc this season of, of acknowledging that he you know has to teach Ezra and understanding mm-hmm. his place. What I didn't like was the way that he came to that realization at at the end of this fight when he thinks Ezra is dead, right? Mm -hmm. Because, A, you have the Force, so you Mm -hmm. should be able to sense that he's alive, probably. Mm -hmm. B, Mm -hmm. Ezra, we later find out, like, falls onto another platform, and we, we, like, it's not that far. So if you just, like, peeked over the side, you would have seen him. And and it just seemed a little convenient on that front. Yeah, mm-hmm. I at first I thought that like Kanan was playing it off 
to the Inquisitor. Like, oh, no, mm. I'm going to pretend like my friend's dead and be sad. And then when you come over here, I'm going to stab you. But yeah, it, he didn't. Because like, he looks over the side. I, yeah, just, I, I thought he looked over. Ezra, no. So I just I <laughs> yeah. was like, didn't you see him? I mean, like maybe he thought he was dead lying there. But like yeah. earlier in the episode, we see Ezra... Like sensing that Kanan's alive this whole time, yeah. So it doesn't from doesn't a different a ship, ton, yeah, from a different ship. So it doesn't make a ton of sense. But what they get at with like Kanan now has nothing, nothing to fear mm-hmm. is nice because I think like the reaction that I would expect is like, well, now I'm angry, so like, good, good, let the hate flow through you. Yes, the Inquisitor definitely thinks that he has made Kanan angry and kind of smiles. Mm-hmm. And then the smile fades as he realizes, you know, what Kanan is actually feeling. Right. Yeah. So that was, that yeah, was it's, good. It's, it's so interesting to me because so much of the season, as we've been talking about, seems to be about that Kanan is much more comfortable with attachment than Jedi are supposed to be. You know, he has these strong feelings for Hera. He has strong feelings for Ezra. And that those aren't necessarily going to hold him back. But here, it, it, but I don't think it's just his attachment to Ezra. I think it's the idea of, you know, it's the sort of thing where, like, if you're too scared to fail at something, you can never really succeed at it. And that it's, he's so worried about, you know, failing at teaching Ezra or getting Ezra killed that there's almost a sort of, like, one, once that's dead, he has nothing else to lose. And that's when he's able to really, like, you know, turn on the, the, the you know, special mode and, and defeat the Inquisitor. Like, I know Kung Fu. Yeah. Yeah, but it, it, it's... I feel like there's so much that happens in these three episodes that I'm willing to forgive it a bit. Mm-hmm. But that being said, I think this is another case where they're trying to set up a character moment. And I really appreciate the character moment they set up. But I don't think they do a good job of setting it up, if that if that makes sense. Oh, yeah, I totally agree. Completely agree. Yeah, I think I agree as well. Yeah. And, and I just have to say once again, like my ultimate pet peeve of the Star Wars universe they are fighting in the engine room, and there are these weird, you know, walkways, walkway planks with no guardrails, and that's why Ezra mm-hmm. falls to his quote-unquote death. And it doesn't, right. I just, this is the engine room, this is one of the most sensitive parts of the ship, as we see, and there's just no safety standards. But the aesthetic, like no. the architect, will not have those guardrails. Just imagine being a, a repair person, like <laughs> yeah. an engine repair person, and like, <laughs> oh. whoa, I... I dropped my yeah. wrench like 400 feet or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. We, we've talked about the desperate need for OSHA for a, for you know, uh, uh, office of, um, you know, workplace uh, safety standards and stuff like that. If nothing else, they might decide that having a um, pit that goes right to your uh, main <laughs> reactor in the uh, main command room for your emperor is not the best idea either. But yeah, also I, another thing to be I need like a whole movie. The way Rogue One kind of retconned the Death Star exhaust port, you know, to uh-huh. be a, a design weakness. I need a whole movie about this. Like, someone who designs the ships and, and then, like, as a joke says, like, what if we just have no handrails? And they're like, that seems like a great <laughs> idea. Like, oops. Okay, so I'm going to go off on a weird tangent here, and I'm sorry. Yeah. But, like, <laughs> the whole no handrails thing is completely bonkers, especially that this is, like, an industrial setting and, oh, my gosh, put handrails on there. But mm-hmm. there are so many cases of, like, buildings, especially with staircases not having handrails, like, um. floating staircases in the middle of a room. I'm thinking, like, mid-century modern, like, split levels. Because those handrails really obstruct your line of sight, and they're ugly, mm-hmm. right? So there's so much fight for older buildings to, like, grandfather in this lack of handrail. Hmm. So much so that, like, people will go without renovating their houses because if you start the renovation then you've got to put these handrails up to meet meet safety code right so it's just like no 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 i don't need the handrails i'll fall to my death on the stairs that's okay but like in the engine room oh, no. is that it's when ridiculous. you're like mainly focusing on aesthetic <laughs> and I, I i will also continue to maintain that as important as much as i agree with you that the handrails thing is ridiculous it's the fact that as we established a couple of episodes earlier TIE fighters don't have windshield wipers. Yes. Yep. <laughs> that most bothers me. But anyway. And there's a long, kind, long time Kind of ago. moving on. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I did think it was kind of a fitting way for the Inquisitor to end. Mm-hmm. And I, I, it, you know, it's one, he, uh, Inquisitor's one of those characters where it's kind of a little bit like you gotta, I, I don't think he could have stayed just this in, in imposing figure who kept almost winning, but not quite beyond a season. 
And the first, I was the first time I saw it, I was really quite surprised that they let him die because he'd been kind of the main big bad. Mm-hmm. But I thought it was very fitting. And I, I, the more I think about it, the more I feel like it would not have worked to keep him along beyond then. Well, the way that Kanan defeats him is one of the best like lightsaber moments in the history of Star Wars. So Kanan has his lightsaber, and then Ezra's when he thinks Ezra's dead. So he's dual wielding. And then the the Inquisitor has his double-bladed, like, spinning thing that he holds in the middle so that the two blades are spinning around the middle piece. And then Kanan just like, oh, well, there's (laughs) nothing in the middle where you're holding it. And he just sticks both his lightsabers in there and then, like, splits them apart. And it's just, it's a great moment. Yeah. I even love, like, how... Kanan, and Ezra notices this, this as well, but how Kanan is using Ezra's lightsaber first in like gun mode, then instantly flipping to sword mode, and then like back to gun mode real fast oh, to yeah. like keep the Inquisitor off his game. Yeah, it's great. He's kind of excited to be able to use the gun. Yeah. He's like, hey, mine doesn't do that. Yeah. <laughs> well, I, I love it for two reasons. One is it, it looked awesome and it was kind of great fighting. But the other thing is it, it answered the question I have, which is, you know, why don't people have this badass lightsaber that the Inquisitors have mm-hmm. 20 years later? Um, you know, and I think anytime in a prequel you introduce cool new technology, the question is always, like, why don't people use it later? Mm-hmm. And and here, at least I can sort of buy, like, yeah, everyone thought this was a great thing for the Inquisitors to have until Kanan proved, actually, it's incredibly vulnerable to yeah. being attacked through yeah. the, middle, the middle. So maybe we don't use it stab anymore. them in the stomach, which is not yeah. great. Yeah. <laughs> But yeah, and the way that the duel ends, uh, the Inquisitor is hanging off off the, the platform, um, and Kanan is standing above him, and the Inquisitor tells him, like, what's the exact line? It's like, there are, there are fates, there are things worse than death. It's yet to come, or something like that. And then he lets go. Like, so, the worst is yet to come. And yeah. then after that, we get the reveal of Darth Vader coming to Lothal. So the idea that the Inquisitor was afraid of surviving this duel and then having to face Darth Vader and tell him that he failed mm-hmm. to mm-hmm. defeat Kanan was just like unbearable for him and he would rather fall to his death. Yeah. Yeah, I thought that that felt very fitting. Yeah. And, and though I, the sense that I got was that part of it is that he's afraid of Vader, but I think also that there, it, it's also somewhat A-like not quite honor, but there's something like it of like, he just doesn't want to live with himself having failed like that. I mean, yeah, I don't think he would. Right? Like, <laughs> I'm pretty sure Vader would force choke him to death. But yeah, right. I totally, I get what you're saying, right? Like it, it being seen as a failure is not something that the the Inquisitor is chill with, right? So he chooses to mm-hmm. just fall to his death. And I think even like, instead of letting Kanan have the satisfaction of killing him, or something or like saving that. or saving him yeah that would be even worse i think from mm-hmm. from the inquisitor's mind but yeah i the whole time i was just like cut off his head kanan cut yeah. off his head <laughs> we know that people can survive being chopped in half and like mysteriously falling down tubes right but yeah yeah that's yeah there's just no falling damage anywhere in the star wars <laughs> yeah. universe that's definitely been proved yeah and I, I guess this is a spoiler, right? That the Inquisitor does not return. He did, in fact, right. die mm-hmm. here. But when I watched it, I definitely had that moment of, well, like, Maul survived. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, we don't know. You know, maybe the Inquisitor's going to come back in something later. In a future but... series. Yeah, maybe. Jeez. Yeah. yeah. Sure. He's Why not? He's a really cool character. Well, the whole yeah. ship blows up It sure does. This. <laughs> but, okay, yeah. Maul literally chopped in half. So, I mean, you know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Things. And fell down a once again a very deep yeah. pit that's there for no good reason. You know, design choices. That one doesn't even have a railing. No. Vader's got to like actually throw Palpatine <laughs> over the railing. Yeah. Anyway, Someone okay, let's might. get me off this. Um, <laughs> one other just quick little throwaway moment, but that I really loved was um, when they do finally go to 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 get the the Tie Fighter that. Um, uh, Zeb and Ezra had said they destroyed, but it turned out they hadn't. Not only has it been kept all this time, but Sabine painted it. Yes. Uh, and it just looks like this awesome, like, punk rock, you know. It would be completely unhelpful now to use to, like, infiltrate, because immediately people are going to know it's not Imperial. But Sabine just doesn't care. She's like, nope, we're going to do the art. And it looks amazing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, and, like, um, Hera points out, 
because they're like, well, there's no time to repaint it, so I guess we're going with it. But like Hera points out, they're not going to be looking at it. They're going to be scanning it, and they won't see right. it until it's too late. So we're probably fine. And Sabine right. also has a nice moment, I believe, at the beginning of episode two in this arc, where they steal the transport ship. Um, mm-hmm. She's distracting the stormtroopers at, at this hangar, and yeah. they're like, she's back, the artist. So she's got yes, this reputation <laughs> amongst the stormtroopers of being this graffiti artist. Yeah, which is really fun. Because clearly, like, she does graffiti, but clearly they know that it's a lot more than that, you know, because they're not just like, oh, graffiti is back. That's bad. It's like, the artist, you know? For sure. Yeah, yeah. Giving her the cred she deserves. Another One other moment. Go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say another time moment that I thought was, like, cold-blooded is when, like, Kanan and Ezra get to the hangar bay and they're like, oh, we can take the uh, Inquisitor's tie. Guess he's not going to be using it. Yuck, yuck, yuck. <laughs> it's just like, guys, wow, yeah. chill. <laughs> Another thing that I loved, and this is very much the other uh, end of the emotional spectrum, but it, it just, it hit me so hard, especially with what's happened since, is there's this wonderful moment, I mean, horrible, where the but wonderful, the, the Inquisitor is like trying to get under Kanan's skin as he's torturing him. And he talks about how, you know, uh, Kanan's master, you know, died to protect Kanan. Kanan mm. ran away. And, I mean, it's it's harrowing. And you know that there's some tr- – you know that the Inquisitor is putting the worst spin on it, but that it's technically true. And and for me, it just hit me so much harder now that I've actually seen that happen mm. in Bad Batch, you know. And just – this happened years before they probably ever even knew the Bad Batch show was going to happen but it was so similar to like the way the Inquisitor describes it is exactly what we see in the show or very close to it that it just it reminded me that clearly they were being very intentional with that in the Bad Batch and just seeing it now just makes the scene hit me so much harder. Yeah. And I know that there are probably fans out there who are disappointed that it was not the comic book version of that mm-hmm. um, because that is that. That shows a lot more connection between uh, Kanan, his master, Depa uh, Balapa, mm-hmm. and the clones under their command. Like, they have an entire, like, meal together the night before Order 66, and there's this whole conversation oh, wow. of camaraderie. Um, so that that's, like, a nice moment that happens in the comics, which has unfortunately been retconned uh, into mm-hmm. a different version of events. Yeah, yeah, but I mean, I totally agree, especially with like, I mean, the the Inquisitor has just been torturing Kanan for a couple days, right? So he's right. presumably gotten into his head a little bit and then seen all of his fears. And so, like you were saying, even though he's not describing, like giving maybe a, an accurate or even a generous like description of what happened, like he's feeding back to Kanan, Kanan's worst fears and like that sort of negative self-talk of like, uh my master told me to run and I just ran away. I'm a coward. If anybody knew that I was a coward, they'd never let me live it down. They'd never trust me again. Right? And so then, like, the Inquisitor just right. repeating back, like, the worst things you think about yourself to you. It's just, like, digging that knife in. Ugh. Yeah. Well, and it's something that we've established. It, it, it's kind of a sign that at least on some level it's working, mm-hmm. you know, because, like, with, with this very emblem, you know, it, it's not just that the Inquisitor knows these things. It's that to some extent he's doing kind of like he he's sensing the emotion. He's he's reading his mind very much like what Vader does when Vader figures out that, that Luke is worried about his sister. Mm-hmm. And 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 like the way it's shot in Return of the Jedi, it seems very clear that it's because Luke is slipping a little bit because he's slipping a little bit into fear and anger that that's what vader is able to pick up on so you know you have that added thing of like not only is the inquisitor really needling him in such a horrible way but it's a sign that like kanan is starting just a small bit to crack you know and 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 so i just it just makes all of it so much more important so much more powerful yeah and i think like they mentioned this but like the only reason kanan hasn't cracked is because like he, there's nothing he does he literally doesn't know anything right he's not hiding anything he just actually doesn't know um mm-hmm. but you know the tarkin and inquisitor refuse to believe that i think he's just really good at hiding yeah and like torturing people for information excellent way to get really truthful really accurate information <laughs> well i mean i think that's part of it it's part of it that he's realizing that um you know the 
the physical torture isn't going to work. You know, at first he said something like, you know, pain will always get them. And, mm-hmm. and the fact is it doesn't, yeah. you know, that they have to do this. Um, so I think we've, we've hit a lot. Is there any other kind of other big ideas that you wanted to touch on? I love um, the moment with Tarkin on the bridge of the Star Destroyer. Mm-hmm. Once the engines go out because of the, the lightsaber duel in the engine room, one of his subordinates is like, we have to evacuate the ship. And I thought it was a nice parallel to A New Hope, mm-hmm. you know, where they say that, that they've discovered a flaw in the Death Star, like we should evacuate. It's like in our moment of triumph. <laughs> yeah. But this time he does. He gets off the ship. Yeah. Like for your safety. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It was a really nice thing. I have a very. Well, cool. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. I was just going to say I have a really small moment thing that i liked was the design of the lightsabers in this arc i think they're much skinnier and pointier than i think we've seen them before um and they mm-hmm. reminded me a lot more of like fencing swords than like big broad swords how i've seen them depicted i think it's just like an, part of the animation style but i think feel like it, where it really really paid off is like when the inquisitor is holding kanan's own lightsaber like right up against his eye and it's just this like fine needle point right mm-hmm. in his face yeah i think it was it was a really nice design choice for the lightsabers yeah. even though it's different than what we've seen before. and it fits it fits the combat the mm-hmm. way that they animated um the inquisitor definitely has like a, a fencer style as you said yeah mm-hmm. to his combat yeah yeah we've moved a long way from the kind of like you know claymores that uh mm-hmm. vader and obi-wan were using to you know the much more like dualistic style and mm-hmm. um things like that and i so. also like it better than you know yoda's spinning lightsaber combat oh. style or even Pal- I mean, palpatine right like when he get, is discovered by mace and his gang like does this weird like m bison spin with his lightsaber yeah <laughs> Yeah, I, I have so many issues with that that we do not even need to go into uh, <laughs> into that. All right. Anyway, I think that's about all we can uh, say about Well, there's so much more we could say about this, but it's a good, good place to end. We didn't even get to Hera, but we'll make sure to pick up on where she is next uh, in our next episode. Uh, for Riki and Sarah, I know you guys are just kind of settling in now, but if people want to find more of what you're doing or what you're creating, where can they look? Well, I am on Twitter at Wikipedia Go. Um, and I'm on Instagram at Sarah Hayashi Ceramics and uh, Etsy, Etsy slash shop slash Hayashi Ceramics. Although the shop updates have been on a, on a brief hold just while we're moving and everything. Um, so my apologies there, but there should be some stuff up, some wintry goodies, um, like some knit headbands and maybe some like hot cocoa mugs and sort of stuff like that. Maybe Christmas decorations. Who's to say? Awesome. Uh, yeah, so definitely definitely check that out, folks. Uh, I will also say, um, you know, if you like this podcast, please check out my other podcast, Superhero Ethics. Uh, and and most importantly, like, let us know what you think. What what was it like for you the first time you found out that Ahsoka was Fulcrum? And, and not only that she was Fulcrum, but that meant she was going to be back. Uh, seeing the Inquisitor's death, seeing anything about this. Uh, your general thoughts on season one of Rebels. We'd love to hear it. You can uh, contact us by going to uh, theethicalpanda.com. That's our website. There you'll also find all the ways to find us on Facebook, Twitter, email, all the different ways you can find us, whether you want the conversation to be in private, in public, whatever it is. Uh, of course, also please check out my other podcasts. Like I said, Superhero Ethics. Uh, you can also check out all the other great podcasts on the Stranded Panda Podcast Network. Uh, so I have myself, Ricky, Sarah. Thank you all so much. Thanks for being great fans and have a good day. Chopper, so good. <laughs>